Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a group director of Experience Strategy and your host for the show. Thanks for tuning us in. As promised, we have one more special edition episode with Karen Boswell, our chief experience officer of EMEA, who was down in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest. She has since, as if you've heard the last episode, flown back to London and is with us now to be able to give us kind of a recap of the entire weekend at large and a lot of great stuff to get into. So uh, be able to boil up what was a very, very busy handful of days and give us some key themes overarchingly uh, as uh, she looks back after a few days to kind of recoup as as best you can after going across the pond and uh, uh, give us again the the overarching recap of, of the weekend. Karen, how was the travel back? Wasn't too bad, you know. I managed to get some Zs on the plane and a couple of days back on the ground. I think I'm back in my local zone. But thank <laughs> you for having me back on. Of course. Thank you for all the effort and the time you put in over the last uh, last few days and going into uh, this week. I'd love to kind of, as you have a day or two to reflect on it, break down kind of a handful of different topics that you feel like boiled to the top uh, after, after kind of getting a chance to marinate on it. If you had maybe your first one, not in any particular order, what was the first key theme that you would say after looking back? This was the theme that, that came out or one of the themes that came out. So I, it's funny you say sort of marinade on it. That feels very relevant to having just come back from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Great Freudian slip. Um, I, I did actually bring a lot of marinade back. And whilst marinating things in the background, um, <laughs> I went through a mind mapping exercise of all my notes and clustered them. And there were four themes that came out of it. And these aren't in any particular order other than my post-its on the wall. Um, so the first is the overarching theme of data, which feels like a really obvious thing. But actually, there were a few points within it that are less obvious that I um, made a lot of notes on and spoke to a lot of people about. Um, data ethics being one of the sub-agendas under that overarching head. And this idea of how do we formalise ethical data? How do we formalise um, agendas and committees around who decides what ethical use of data is? And as we move into algorithmic stances and we move into increasingly artificial intelligence, like what are the imperatives from an ethical use and ethical data lakes to organisations and how do we move that forward? And so, um, more questions than there were answers, but I think there's a lot of people trying to make sure that the right governance is in place before we hit this cusp of exponential speed of, of adoption of, of algorithms, because that's when it gets super hard to kind of rein in and control. Do you feel like, because I kind of have this sense that we were, if not like putting our toe over the line to that point of we're kind of past the point of no return. I know we're not quite there yet, but how close are we to not having a wrangle on it. I know that sounds like ominous, but not, not intending to be ominous other than to say things are already at a breakneck pace. How close do you think we are after hearing some of the conversations of of not having time to catch to catch up and we're always going to be playing from behind? You're right. I think I think you're right. You you make a, a valid point and I think the drive toward data transformation and digital transformation has resulted in this tsunami of data that's been coming our way. And I don't think enough people have got a grip on how to use data, let alone why they have the right to use data. And I think successfully identifying the value of what data is as a strategic asset to a brand or a business, but based on 
having the right to adapt and adopt the use of that data is is what's causing some competitive friction let's say um and there's quite a lot of flexible governance in place at the moment especially when you start to consider um you know what what the facebook's or the metas of the world should i say um sub point on uh, the word meta by the way but mm. um you know they get away with a lot versus uh institutionalized legacy businesses and and i think there's um some frustration around that but at the same time, data can be a really powerful resource for change. And actually, when we start to broaden and deepen the reach of how we access and construct and empower the right use of data, the influence on policymakers or governments or, or those who can put Facebook back in a box <laughs> actually provide sustainable solutions to quite deep-rooted societal, cultural, business, organisational issues. And that, I think, is more the track. Everybody's aware that it's a problem, but no one's quantifying or qualifying a resolve that is fair or mainstream for organisational change in the right way. The other thing about data that I think is, is interesting is when you hear and depending on what what the spheres of marketing you're working on or in customer experience, it's becoming much more of a focal point, at least in the conversations I've had, is is data value exchange. And so obviously there's tons of data being pumped into these lakes and you know how they're being used. It's obviously going to go back to your governance model. But we are also at a point in time in, in our human condition, let's call it, where everybody is, to your point, really self-aware of their data, whatever that actually means. And being less willing to essentially feed the beast, so to speak. And so I'm very curious and really more of just a, a dialogue point more than a question it, to see how the next, let's just call it two or three years, actually evolve in terms of what do brands and you know even just individuals do from a back and forth perspective of why should I give you my data? How can I not give you my data? You know, the, the macro theme of data privacy and data ethics comes back to the, the system only works and continues to build and get better if the data continues to come in and is being fed. And I think some of it's unavoidable. You're not going to completely shut off your connected world. But at the same time, we are at this kind of, I feel like, a fulcrum point where cu customers, just humans in general, are very aware but also hesitant to give too much data. And when you start to wade into some of our other topics we'll get into, metaverse, health, you know, reconnection through tech, that is a very important piece of the formula, input to get output, right? I agree. And my build on that would be literacy around data as well. I think comparably in the world, there's a small percentage of people who genuinely understand what the hell it is we just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the stuff that goes behind it, you know, and they're probably the sorts of people that are going to listen to this podcast. But actually, how do we make sure that the basic data literacy skills are built into mainstream workplaces like um, mainstream sectors? Um, you know, how does it go into curriculum for classrooms, for example? Like, how do we make sure the generations that are going to make this right and sustainable for a future actually have that basic fluency and analytical skills. And so I think it's not just a now, it's a 
next 50 plus years that we are considering when we talk about it. And, you know, we mentioned cryptos and NFTs and DAOs with these kind of throwaway comments because everyone's a bit like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's nefarious. It's quite nefarious yeah. at the moment. And so, you know, um, it, I think that the general sort of sense, apart from those really immersed at the forefront and creating it, um, most of the people just felt a bit overwhelmed. It's like, for God's sake, like we haven't even finished sorting the last thing out. What's what's this next thing? And so um, I think we have to be very mindful and very aware of how we balance enablement through technology and um, actually just the stress, the mental stress it, stress it can put people under just they can't necessarily explain it but they just have this feeling that it's everywhere and moving really fast and they're getting a little bit left behind so there's the people on track at south by southwest and then there's the world that we're addressing that weren't there right. and I, I do literacy and understanding is probably the most empowering thing we can do right now for everyone well, and you talk about literacy, uh, the, the segue into the M word, the metaverse, which we talked about in a couple <laughs> of podcasts, begrudgingly or not begrudgingly. Um, it, people, I think, are always interested in, OK, what is this exactly? What is next? But they are tiptoeing around, like truly understanding or even wanting to dive into what is the metaverse. And I know this was another one of those things um, that you you shared as a relatively large conversational point that seemed to come up a lot. Talk more about the metaverse. So let's just define really clearly what the metaverse is. And it's a, it's essentially this blending and blurring of digitally enhanced worlds, businesses, realities. It brings together cloud and AI. Um, it involves things like the blockchain. Um, it involves uh, all of those different sort of NFTs and crypto and all of those um, words and buzzwords all amalgamate in, in this place. Um, edge technologies, so things that don't have a hard stop that blur between physical and digital. Um, and it is a thing. <laughs> I think there was a, you know, I remember, I remember Ready Player One coming into uh mainstream you know and i read oh, that yeah. when i was <laughs> i don't even want to say how old i was but i was definitely definitely one of the first people to read that book and then when the the, the movie came out i remember thinking oh wow this is gonna excite some people and it's gonna scare a lot of people actually because those that realize how close that technology is um are gonna have this sort of oh wow amazing maybe i don't want to buy that headset but it's not a headset anymore so like in that world you kind of go into an environment right this is beyond that because it's starting to blur all the different alternate realities the blended realities it's blurring your identities and that was something we talked about on one of our our podcasts there's multiple worlds there's multiple projects and the big question is are we ready for it so when we think about what does that mean for brands what does that mean for mass consumerism? What does that mean for customer experiences, commerce experiences, employee experiences? Um, my belief and what I was picking up on the track is that the businesses, the brands that will thrive will need to establish safe, inclusive, and of course I'm gonna say human-led experiences, 
as they create these worlds, because I think it will be incredibly overwhelming otherwise. Did you get the sense that I think there's that moment of, wait a minute, Ready Player One, like that can happen in real life or maybe quasi real life. I don't even know the meta life. Um, the the idea of technology in that sense of that magnitude starts to kind of like make you spin around in your head when you start thinking about it. Did you get a sense that there was more, holy shit, that's awesome, or uh, I'm not really sure about that, discomfort versus awe? Was there a balance that you were feeling while you were down there? So day one, there was a, a lot of, wait, what? Day two, it was like, oh, this could actually be really cool. And by day three, everyone was like, oh, God, metaverse, multiverse, megaverse, mega multi metaverse, meta, what is this thing? It was just like, you could just kind of hear people got fatigued really quickly. And that was like three days of talking about it and just mm -hmm. talking about it. Now, the thing is, you look at some of the amazing work that has been done. So one of our guests was obviously um, Sol Rogers and he works at Magnopus and they created a digital twin of the Dubai Expo. I mean, you look at that thing and you're like, it's pretty damn cool, uh -huh. but you are signing up to go to an event and you are choosing to be in it. Yep. When it comes um, a thing where, you know, there were conversations around um, putting mainstream mass fashion brands into the metaverse and essentially having them be able to interrupt your digital avatars and personalities which you know might feel really far away but it's not when you consider a world where TikTok and Instagram and Meta all converge and suddenly you're like well hang on a minute this is my little bubble what are you doing in here and there is literally no escaping of it so I think as as people were realizing what it could mean in the wrong hands or the wrong mindset there was this bit of a oh god <laughs> yeah. are we ready for this and I think the second thing that was um, quite, un you know, bubbling up and, and I remember back in the day, <laughs> um, you know, I'm going back seven or eight years now when we were talking about bridging Uncanny Valley, when we were getting to, you know, volumetric captors of people and putting them into virtual reality experiences, the level up on that. And again, you know, it's sort of all of those things and more is this um, sort of what, what Accenture called the unreal air quotes so building on that digital twins and again will came on and talked a lot about that but the scene of um an environment that is increasingly filled with um machines avatars that are possibly human these unreal qualities start to become intrinsic to algorithmic data and when that is used with bad actors or bad brands or perhaps just misinformed you know we've had a world of fake news and deep fakes and bots mm -hmm. which isn't gone yet it's really hard to tell the difference sometimes so what does that mean when suddenly we don't have the data rules that we talked about we don't have the ethics that we just talked about but we do have the technology and we do have a lot of power hungry businesses and I think that is what is making people kind of go well what's real and what's not yeah, and it, it really is an interesting time when you think about like the mass quantities of people that would have to ultimately get in to kind of 
get things to that that critical mass area. Right now, you start to see people that have experienced it. You know, obviously at VML YNR, we've done some meetings where uh, we have these Metaverse Mondays now, where we kind of are, are grouped together and learning more about it. And it, that's what VML YNR always does. Relentlessly curious, right? But I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how some of those things you just talked about manifest and how quickly they manifest when it starts to become. This is probably not going to be exactly a one-to-one, but when Facebook became uh, Facebook pages and you were able to bring businesses online. Before, it was very nuanced and it was a social media tool that was designed for a very finite group of people in a very finite set of circumstances. And then they opened up Pandora's box and it became this this channel as we know it, as it is now for for business and you know, advertising and everything. It was obviously the next phase of their their transformation at, at what is now Meta. But I haven't. I have a suspicion we're going to kind of follow that same pattern where there will reach a point of critical mass where mm-hmm. enough people are in it that you have to get on the train or or don't. <laughs> and and that's mm-hmm. to me where, where I'm I'm interested in your perspective too. Um, how close are we? Do you think? To, to critical mass where people are going to accept this as a new way of interaction versus I know it's coming. I know what it is. I kind of like, oh, I understand it, but I'm willing to engage with it more regularly. I think the rate of adoption will be quite slow overall. I think where there isn't a need or a want, I don't, I just don't think it's necessary or engaging enough at the moment. We saw the same thing with um, virtual reality um and then it was quickly not replaced but displaced with augmented reality because augmented reality was much more accessible um and easier to produce and produce for and it didn't come with you know a lot of the expensive physical architecture around it and both of those things I still believe in and advocate for but I think you know that we definitely had that phase where it's like we need a VR thingy to be cool we need an AR thingy to yes, be cool and then yes. it's an AR thingy and and it's like stop with the thingies it's like <laughs> and I think this is a big thingy and um I think it just why so I can see some brilliant use cases for it okay so being able to go and walk around an event you couldn't otherwise get to to be able to walk around an office you couldn't otherwise go and interview for to maybe try on um you know new uh designs for your house or you know a wardrobe in in a whole new way that you can't you know sort of leveling up from the virtual mirrors and and things you can do on your phone like I can see some reasons for it to exist I would be greatly saddened if we ended up moving to too much of it too soon and to your point around Facebook you know there was mass adoption and now there's fairly mass abandonment. So, uh-huh. you know, how do things stay mainstream forever? You know, I, the latest thing is cool until it's not. Um, yep. You know, I think that was a quote that came out of one of our podcasts. And it's it's so true. Like your latest phone is, I think Will said this, your latest phone is really exciting until your nan texts you on it. I came off Facebook because <laughs> I know my parents will never listen to this podcast. I came off Facebook when my parents went on it. <laughs> so I was like, it's just another way for them to get hold of me. And I haven't been on it for years. Um, and I took the second brand in the world onto Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was an advocate for it. 
and then I was an advocate not for it. And I think it's um, I think it's just that, but exponentially bigger. Um, so yeah, I think it's exciting. And my one my one final build before I make you move us on from the metaverse. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> we do have, by the way whole other keynotes on this um and there is a lot of really interesting stuff so maybe we can pop that up on the site alongside this because we do have experts in this field and it is totally it is super important but i'm mindful of how many people i spoke to at south bend and they were like for the love of god loving the podcast but please stop talking about <laughs> um, but my one final thing that i thought and i picked this up on a health talk related to the metaverse and i just thought this wasn't mainstream but it was kind of um, really made me stop and think is this idea of biomimicry inspiring computing for the quantum era and I was like ah I mean that just <laughs> that just levels it all up again so when we think about biomimicry um, in human sense it's you know how if you lean in and talk in a certain way I'll lean in and talk in a certain way but actually when you take that to another level um, systems and architecture that draw inspiration from biological flows processes designs anatomies all of those kinds of things is now a key focus of how we are performing development in computational functions such as computer chips such as naturally flowing adaptive progressive algorithms and when you combine that biomimicry with quantum computing and the metaverse yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we can close the book moment. on the metaverse. We can actually close. All right, we're going to move on. <laughs> it's done. The metaverse is done, at least for today. Um, you you kind of started to guide into health a little bit. And I know uh, in uh, part of our podcast discussions over the weekend, we, we talked a lot about health and how uh, technology is affecting that overarchingly. But I thought there were some interesting nuggets that you pulled out over the course of the few days. Let's talk about health as, as kind of that macro topic. Yeah, so I'm glad you picked up on this, actually, because it sort of restores faith. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it puts balance back into some of that um, frenetic energy I think people were feeling around uh, a lot of the technology. So um, I was not actually hugely surprised to learn that one in 10 people won't bother to go and see a doctor, even if they think they're seriously ill. And over 25% of that say it's because of the pandemic. Now, those are big numbers, right? Yeah. But I genuinely wasn't actually that surprised um, because when you think about it, there is a lot of nervousness around health, health systems across the world at the moment. Um, but what's great is that generally health and wellness is a now sort of catch all for inside and outside and the looking after of. Uh, definitely had a really big shift and a really big uh, focus. And I think I said on, um, I can't remember if it was day two or day three, but it felt much less tech focused and much more people focused. And there were some themes that were coming out of it. Um, I'll start with mindfulness because that um, is, is a word that's been around for a long time, but I think has taken on new meaning. And I think a lot of people um associate mindfulness with yoga and meditation perhaps but actually there are some macro trends that are coming out like um mindful mood diaries mm -hmm. just being conscious of being um conscious of being aware <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a strange sentence to come out with but um you know how you're showing up 
uh, in a virtual world or a real world and how perhaps it's affecting you um, and where the underlying anxiety might be, because sometimes we spot it too late. So just this undercurrent of um, am I OK? And then how, you know, what is this feeling like? How do I identify what this feeling is? And then there were things like mindful drinking. So a lot of people turned to alcohol in the first series of lockdowns. And I think a lot of people realized that's not a good thing. <laughs> so also not wanting to go then teetotal and go the other way. So right. this idea of mindful drinking and correlating that to how you're feeling. Are you drinking to feel uh, to celebrate or are you um, drinking to commiserate and, and sort of being aware of what that might do to your emotions? And then just things like mindful moving rather than it being a, a yoga thing or a meditation thing, like just mindful moving and mindful exercise. And there was a lot of research that was showing that combining the mindfulness and the exercise and the diaries just lowers your risk of depression um, and boosts your mood and relieves stress and reduces anxiety. Um, but also just educating on why, you know, the, the release of serotonin and those different feel good um, chemicals. So there's a lot of um, services and apps and simple things that you can find um, on the Internet um, that are just helping people access tools to self reflect and probably not self diagnose per se, but just be aware and be mindful of how they're feeling and how they're acting. What I think is really cool about it is that right now I feel like, and you can tell me if you, you've seen the same thing, there are pockets of solutions that do sleep or how's your gut doing or are you mindful? But what I feel like the, the secret sauce that hasn't really come together yet is, and it, dare I say Apple's starting to toy with this, is you, you know, things like Apple Watch or tracking your blood oxygen and your heart rate and all that good stuff. That, there is no, <clears throat> what's the way of putting it, 360-degree view of me. And maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing, mm -hmm. but I think where, where when we talk about health, the, the interest that I have and what I think is, is interesting overarchingly is I might have these individual apps, and at times maybe these apps are communicating the data, but the data is there. It's just not working together potentially at this point at a macro level mm -hmm. to be a holistic help from a human need to make me my best self. So right now there's mm -hmm. a pocket of data that's telling me how much am I exercising, pocket of data, how well am I eating? And I think what is gonna be interesting is solutions that start to be able to stitch those things together in a more holistic, predictive sort of way, because that's where I feel like, talk about human need, you're gonna get a fuller picture of your health using technology mm. when it starts to become truly holistic and truly connected across a series of many different touch points that, as we know, the human body has interconnected touch points, interconnected things, but in the data sphere, maybe they're not as well connected uh, to, to share, share learnings, be symbiotic in that sense. Yeah, and I think to address that point, and then I'll build on it, the is the the start of the connections there so for example gut health is a track of conversation brain health is a track of conversation but i think what's interesting is that we sort of know over here that prioritizing your gut health um you know both your digestive system but also 
your GI tract. I can never say the long version of that, so I'll go with the short <laughs> version. Um, you know, balancing um, the bacteria and how you digest food helps with energy um, and you know the, the fluidity of your of your movements um, and your um, brain health, um, your brain axes is can be conditioned to have an eating pattern um and so making changes slowly can also then improve your gut health and mm -hmm. vice versa mm -hmm. so it's this sort of idea of connecting um what you put in to how you perform mentally and how you train yourself to uh moderate what you put in so this sort of like gut to brain right. brain to gut symbiosis and then i think the um the build on that is that beyond just connecting the services um and i think you know i have a garmin and i like it because it it does monitor my sleep and my stress and all of those kinds of things um, but not everybody wants to wear a Garmin or can afford a Garmin. And so I think what was nice about some of these services is that they are starting to democratize that beyond even the price of a Garmin. But but my build even more so is there's a, a new sort of set of personalization in the form of supplements and food focused remedies and boosted beverages and conscious eating and actually, wouldn't it be great if my Garmin could connect to those things as connected services mm -hmm. and I could have um, a week by week delivery of what I need? You know, at the moment, I buy the same sure. vitamins based on one of these services. And I'm pretty sure I probably need to be updating them somehow. <laughs> I don't know. But and I think that's the direction of travel. Um that last point is amusing because nobody explicitly talked about it. But if I look at what's going on there, you can kind of go, well, to build on your point and then take it one further, this connect connected health ecosystem of me and my needs, there is a space for people to businesses and companies to help there, I think. It's very cool. I think it's fair to say a good way to round out our special edition of Human Centered is to close on people. Talk a little bit about you know, the the themes that you saw as it relates to human connection and, um, you know, just the, the reliance or over-reliance on, on technology. So there is definitely, you know, we talked about talent shifts. We talked about being open to what this new way of working means. Like, how do we support people where they are in a way that is not... Um, beholden to how we were before whether geographically whether skills wise and I think if we, we can get a better fluidity of skills population going I genuinely think all economies will benefit um, I think that there is a lot of opportunity for people to connect in more interesting ways but we need to build for those people and embrace the friction that that causes our organizations our businesses rather than putting the needs of our business before those people because people are very quickly feeling the fatigue a lot so what is our model what is our framework and how do we allow 
goes back to that enablement. How do we allow um, people to be enabled, not having to break through yet another set of meta firewalls? <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's this idea of um, technology anxiety. Um, and actually, this is a slight sub talking point, but the themes are the same climate and eco anxiety. And they're, they cross pollinate because, you know, people are investing in Bitcoin on one hand and then reading about how much damage it's doing to the rainforest on the other. Yeah. Um, and then you've got this explosion of technology that we're kind of going, yay, this is amazing. We're like, are we not killing our planet at the mm -hmm. same time? Like how, what? And so there's this sort of eco anxiety that is a thing that's now a phrase um, and people are growing both anxious and responsive to what's happening in the world. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, the, the, the search volume is through the roof. It was like up 800% or something. I've I'm not going to quote that factually because I can't, I didn't write it down, but I just remember it being huge. Um, and so that then goes back to this detachment from technology. And I think the one thing that we all need to be mindful of, whoever we are, whatever our role is that humans want to reconnect without technology. Like there is, I've said this word several times, but it's because it came up a lot. There is fatigue around being constantly connected mm -hmm. all of the time. And just because we can doesn't mean we should. Karen, I can't thank you enough for the last handful of days. Uh, this has been such a treat to be able to spend as much time as we have together virtually uh, talking about South by Southwest. And obviously, we will be, I'm sure, conversing again quite a bit. Thank you for everything. And uh, I'm sure we'll be catching up soon. And maybe we'll even get to do it in real I next love it. time. And IRL, yes. Some of the things <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think I, if I may, I think there's just one sort of closing comment that I'd love to to put out there. And, you know, our world is as slow now as it will ever be again. And if there was ever a time to be human first and um, human centered in how we resolve, I think it, it now more than ever is pertinent to make sure that we put people first. And there's a there's a really simple equation that drives positive impact, and that's human need plus technology in that order and i just if we could just close with making sure that that reaches as many people as possible i think we'll be in a really good place to design the right thing and then get the thing right totally totally and i know there's lots more slideware that you're putting together and um, deeper dives into some of the these macro topics so uh, in the next week or so or in the upcoming days uh, you could check our show notes we'll upload uh, links to those and uh, people that are listening to this podcast can follow along and we of course invite you uh, to listen to our human center podcast ongoing as we on a quasi monthly basis are able to upload uh, some great new conversations and content obviously karen's been uh, a regular guest on the program and again karen really appreciate all of your time and expertise thanks again for for being with us thank you nick it was great and thank you for listening to human centered as well to learn more about our cx practice and our approach to the work check us out online at vmlyr.com slash cx thanks again for listening we'll see you next time